Today's show is all about in-car communication and sound. This is AutoLine. Coming up first on today's show is Chet Huber, the president of OnStar. It's a great communication service, mostly available in vehicles from General Motors. But as we all know, GM is in deep trouble, and now other automakers are going to offer services like OnStar. So how will the company respond to what's happening in the marketplace? You'll want to hear what Chet Huber has to say. After that, I'll be sitting down with a guy named Tony Bon Jovi, who's come up with a way to transform the base radio in a car into a premium sound system. And he does it all with software. It doesn't need a power booster, an equalizer, or better speakers. Just some software that you download. It's truly a breakthrough. And besides, you're going to love this guy's story. He has an amazing background. So stay right where you are. We'll be back with Chet Huber and Tony Bon Jovi right after this. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Daily. John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutolineDetroit.tv. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Joining me right now is Chet Huber, the president of OnStar. Chet, great to have you back on AutoLine Detroit. John, really, really glad to be here. I got to imagine that you are in the same boat as everybody else in this economy, but especially the auto industry. Business must be terrible, or, or is it better than terrible for you guys? Well, I mean, it's an interesting time, right? I mean, it's, uh, we're living the dream, all of us. Uh, <laughs> clearly, the part of our business that's about adding new customers, and we add new customers when GM sells new vehicles, is uh, different than we would have thought it would have been six months ago. So that input volume's lower. But every other part of our business is growing. We've got about 6 million active subscribers, and we continue to engage them in more services. And so um, we're a little bit living in a parallel universe um, to that extent. So you're in a good position in the sense that you have a, a business model that has people paying monthly payments to OnStar. So six million people paying those things must be pretty good business model. These yeah, days. I mean, it really is. There was a, a thought a long time ago that this would be a great kind of counter-cyclical business to something like a consumer durable business like the vehicle business. And when it was an idea and there were no subscribers, it was a theory. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say 13 years later, 14 years later, with six million subscribers, it works. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that this, there's an annuity stream created that makes the business work is important on the business side. More importantly, the, the reality that it, it's meaningful to people. I mean, it makes a difference. We're impacting people's lives, and that's what really creates the value and kind of makes the whole thing fit together. Looks like you're adjusting, too, because OnStar has, as you just mentioned, been on GM vehicles, but you announced, what, a little over a month ago that now you're open to selling uh, your services to other automakers. Yeah, we've had some relationships in the past um, with folks like Volkswagen and Audi and, and Acura and Subaru. But those went and away. What happened there? I, I think a transition in the technology. There was a, you know, kind of a, a sea change in the, in the wireless protocols from analog, like analog to, digital. to digital. And um, you know, General Motors took that on pretty aggressively and decided to kind of continue to iterate the hardware platforms through that. Um, in a very non-traditional way, I would say the other vehicle manufacturers 
um, saw that as kind of a, another series of engineering developments to take on. And it's always a trade-off inside the auto industry where you're going to apply your resources. And so I'd say at that time, the, the trade-off was made a number of years ago that you know, they would apply them in a different direction. Frankly, now um, everybody's coming up with some version of this kind of service in their vehicles, and, and we're back in business with uh, talking to the other OEMs. So any interest? Has anyone said, yeah, sign us up? Well, I mean, we've got all kinds of non-disclosures in place, and so I can't really get Well, you can specific. tell me if somebody has said yes, even if well, you don't I, I, I'll let you say at this stage, we're, we're encouraged. We're optimistic. I mean, we've really only started talking to, to the other vehicle manufacturers uh, late last year, and a number of them were already down the line. And, in some of their planning, and so I think it surprised a couple of them that you know that our the opportunity to you know, kind of interact with us would be there. And um, I'm encouraged. Like I said, I think the 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 strength of the brand, the the technology base that we built, the relationships we've created with the 911 community and with other content providers. Um, you know, we built a pretty strong foundational position to to interact with with customers with, and I think the other companies see that. Yeah, I want to get back into that 911 community and the like, but who's coming out now? Toyota's announced they're, they're coming with a system, and I think Ford has announced as well. Well, Toyota's announced they're going to come out with a system um, this fall on uh, a few vehicles, and it is a subset of the OnStar services. It's you know, at, at its core, it's around safety, security, and peace of mind. Oh, which so this is, is through OnStar, though? No, it's not. It's a subset of the service suite oh, that we oh, have. Oh, oh, they're, okay. they're engineering their own. Um, but it has things like crash response and stolen vehicle tracking and the kinds of things that you know we've we've known forever are pretty important to customers and the research will show that anyway you cut the information so um, they're going to enter the market this fall and, and grow from there. Ford's strategy is a little bit different. They started with um, a, you know, a platform that was more tuned towards um, entertainment and Bluetooth connectivity for your Sync. phone. Yeah, the Ford Sync program. And I think they're, they're looking like they want to migrate into a platform that covers some of the safety and security aspects. Um, I, I think it'll be a stretch for them to cover it with the technology platform that they've chosen. But I mean, you know, they're a big company, they'll, they'll figure something out and, and my guess is they'll uh, you know, keep working in this direction. You know, one of the things that you've talked about in the past when you've been on the show is the amount of infrastructure it takes to offer the kind of services. You need all kinds of uh, operators and you have to have all kinds of data banks and all that. Uh, are, are these other competitors of yours catching up now? Well, I mean, there's really only one other company that runs a call center in this space today of any volume. It's a small company in Texas. Um, and they're at this stage, um, you know, providing some services to folks like Mercedes and, and folks like BMW. Uh, but the end-to-end -end nature of what it takes to make this work, I mean, there's some very serious vehicle engineering work that needs to be done to make this, you know, integrate as deeply as it needs to. There's wireless network, um, you know, issues that I wish I could tell you were simpler than they are. My hair used to be a different color, because, you know, back in the day when, when we didn't understand it as well as we do today. And then obviously there's the call center side. And we just filed for our 500th patent in this space. And, and I can tell you personally, when I started um, as, as part of the initial launch team, uh, we were told we didn't have to invent anything. All the technology companies that wanted to be the arms merchants to this market development said it's all done, it's all invented, just take our stuff and it'll work. And um, there are a lot of days I would have wished that was the, the case, but it isn't. And you know, we still file for patents right now at the rate of once every six days. And so, you know, are other people coming into the space? Yeah, are they you know, starting to learn? Yeah, but I mean, there are literally 200 million service interactions behind us. Somebody that starts today and has their first interaction has 
almost 200 million more to go before they're at the stage where we are today. How big is the market then? You mentioned that you've got 6 million or nearly 6 million paid customers. There's 250 million cars in the United States. Of course, they're not all set up to accept services like this, but in your wildest dreams, how big could the market get? Well, I mean, I think there is, General Motors has made the call, and, and I think appropriately, and, and they've done it with all the rigor that you'd expect them to put into a decision like that, to say it's standard equipment for retail customers on every new vehicle they build in the U.S. and Canada. And, you know, starting later this year, we'll launch in China, and who knows where we'll go beyond that um, in the GM footprint. And so, you know, our belief is that the services um, and the, uh, the price point and what we can actually offer customers really belongs one each um, in every vehicle. And so you start with the new ones because it is a pretty complex integration, and we want to be able to do important things in vehicles. We don't want something that just plugs into the cigarette lighter and you suction cup to the window. We want to be able to, to read the signals that the airbags are deployed. We want to know what kind of crash actually happened. Because the, the 911 folks have told us, and some wonderful people um, from the emergency medical community have said, you tell us about the crash, we'll respond differently. Because they can use that to do literally triage on the fly. Exactly right. They said, look, we'll respond differently to the scene. If it's this type of crash, we'll send an air ambulance. You know what? When we get the people in our response vehicle, we'll drive past the nearest hospital and we'll go to a level one trauma center. Because you'll live 25% more of the time if you have that severe in, uh, of an injury. And you know what? When we get you there and you look pretty good because this car is padded so well with airbags and stuff, you don't have bad scratches and bruises, but the forces that your internal organs were exposed to are the same, whether there's an airbag or not. So if it's a side collision, we'll think that your kidney probably hit your spleen a certain way, and we'll test you for that. Yeah. Because this algorithm that can be created now from the rich data will give us that insight. Again, we had no clue. Um, that that was going to be the next step of where the where serious technology would lead us, but we stepped up. You guys have a pretty good story too, in that you've been working a lot, or have worked with Homeland Security too, in in national disasters like Katrina. Tell us a little bit about how that's evolving. Yeah, I, you know, again, you you live and learn in this space, I guess is all I can tell you. And when we the original vision of the business was this was for you as a driver of our car. And, you know, the emergencies were defined more as personal emergencies because that was what we, we understood. As we got bigger, we saw that our subscribers intersected with these regional events. And, you know, the most obvious ones to think about are things like the hurricanes. And so, you know, we've had a number of occasions where um, we know that we have unique insights into what's happening. Situational awareness is what they call it in, in that space, the Homeland Security guys and, and the guys that manage these regional crises. And we can kind of see patterns of call types that would illuminate issues like where are the, the constraints to um, folks that are leaving the area and what are the challenges that they're facing. And we've actually had some discussions with FEMA and Homeland Security. And frankly, what you have to do in this space, it's very fragmented, is you have to have relationships with counties because that's how a lot of these conditions are managed. So we've literally have created unique relationships with hundreds of coastal counties where OnStar, if there's an event called there, gets a seat at the table um, virtually in, in the discussion so that we get the information real time on which uh, shelters have uh, you know, the right kind of openings right now, what's going on with the hospitals, what's going on with the evacuation routes. And what we've created is a reverse Good Samaritan capability where you know, the, the folks there might say, you know what, we don't know if this bridge is out over in this, in this particular part of the county. Could you guys use your technology to create um, a circle around that space and the next call you get from an OnStar subscriber 
could you ask them if they'd be willing to participate as a Good Samaritan? Tell us what they see. Our customers love doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get 10,000 calls a month right now on every Good Samaritan um, case you can imagine. We've got a relationship with the National Center for Missing Children for Amber Alerts. People are in to do that. They want to do that. They want to be a good part of the community. You mentioned China a minute ago. Tell us what your international plans are for OnStar. Well, China will be the first um, you know, kind of movement for us outside the United States and Canada. Uh, pretty exciting. Obviously, a lot of things going on in the, in the Chinese automotive market. Really exciting place to be. GM's got a terrific position with SGM in, in that growing market. Um, and there's a lot of interest in advanced technologies, particularly advanced technologies that can help in the area of safety. Um, you know, as you know, they're going through time-lapse photography growth, right, right of, of people on roads. And so uh, there's been a lot of interest, both in terms of the consumers there, but also the equivalent of the 911 agencies in China to say, what can we bring to bear from a technology standpoint and a state-of-the-art capability that can help connect the dots when, you know, something goes wrong and we have accidents or we have crashes. And so we're really excited about it. Um, there's a lot of moving parts, as you might expect, to, uh, to figure out how to make something like that work in China. But we've got a great team on the ground. We've been able to take a lot of the insights that we've got here out of North America and, and apply them very directly to China. And, and now we're kind of creating the Mandarin voice rec. I mean, all of the things that, you know, you just realize you have to do in parallel were translated turn-by-turn -turn navigation into uh, Mandarin. I was actually in Shanghai um, late last year, and I'm not sure I was supposed to be driving a vehicle, but I, I drove a vehicle uh, with turn-by-turn -turn navigation with Mandarin um, kind of voice prompts, and I, luckily I was sitting uh, with a Chinese engineer in the front seat next to me telling me what they, they just told me so I could take the right turn, but it is fascinating stuff. Well, real good. Chet Huber, thanks so much for coming in and bringing us up to what's going on with OnStar. Terrific. appreciate it, John. Joining me right now is Tony Bon Jovi, who's come up with a revolutionary way of introducing audio into a car. He also has a fascinating background getting started at Motown Records. You got to check all that out on our website. But Tony, tell us a little bit about this new audio system that you're introducing to the automotive industry. We have the only 100% digital active technology introduced in both consumer electronics and in the automotive world. What it means by active, there are sections of the, the program, of the technology, of the processor, that are actually constantly scanning the program material and looking, so I need more sound here, can I get it? And, it, and it, it'll, it'll raise those things that are too low, and, and it'll also, it also addresses the bass or the low frequency by doing what's called acoustic coupling, and we can kind of uh, make all those speakers in the bass area respond at the same time. So by, by aligning that time, you, you get more, it sounds like there's a, almost like a subwoofer, you get the advantage of that. And the speakers are robust enough to be able to, to take those modifications because the speaker doesn't know that we're modifying it. We, we could just as well go in there with a recording console and a, a multi-track digital recording. And well, okay, well this is how much bass we need. And this is, this is what the voice should sound like. And we could do that, but since we don't have the ability to do that, we're gonna do that digitally. And no one's ever done that before, because if you talk to somebody, well, you don't touch the program material, that's taboo. Well, why not? Well, I can, because I'm the person that put that on there in the first place, and I know exactly what happened in the studio, so I'm gonna go back and modify that to fit that environment. 
So as a result of that, JVC was the first company to, to put us in an aftermarket radio. And I've been in about 250 makes and models of cars over a, a year and a half. So I have profiles for just about every car line that's out there. So in the, in the JVC application, we actually put a CD, a disc that, that codes the radio for a Toyota Corolla or a Ford Focus or, or a Toyota Camry or, or uh, uh, a, a Chevy Impala or, or, or whatever the car may be or a, a pickup truck or something. So I've been in all those cars and we put that profile and it's active. It's always on. It's always working. It's always doing something to the sound. So it's not a passive device at all. There are some manufacturers that have uh, some equipment that you can buy or some uh, aftermarket things where you can, it'll listen to the car and it'll set equalization so that it's and it works. But ours is constant, it looks at the program material, it recognizes that there's a deficiency somewhere. It's gonna add that. If it sees that there's enough of bass or something at a particular frequency, it ignores that. So it does, it's that sophisticated that it can do that. And so for an automaker to do this, what? It's just a chip that goes in the here's radio what, or, or what, what is it? Here's what an automaker does. And, and, I, and I can tell you, when I first came to Detroit, there was a lukewarm reception. There was one company uh, who did uh, take a look at us and say, uh, maybe we should try this because this is interesting. And um, with, the, with the downturn in the economy and people having to downsize, I went from nobody calling me in Detroit to now I'm, I'm here today doing this interview, but my day started at 5 a.m. with meeting after meeting after meeting with-, with Now they want to hear from Now you. they want, well, there are, uh, there are some manufacturers that I can't talk about. They are going to implement it, and here's how it works. Goes in the head unit, and what we do is we get with the radio manufacturer, and the radio manufacturer is a function of what the- a uh, car manufacturer tells us they all use different, some of them use multiple manufacturers. And they say, you go here and then we'll, we'll set the meeting up for you because we want them to pay attention to what you're doing because we're interested because what I'm doing is uh, I'm, I'm saving cost and I'm saving weight. And those are two big things. How do you save cost and weight? Well, you save cost because we're not adding any speakers. We're using the factory speakers. We're, we're, we're not adding any weight because the system that we're doing, in, it uses uh, a, a digital signal processor in the radio. And in some cases, we're able to use the existing digital signal processor that will accept our code. So you're not adding any weight and you're getting this huge improvement in sound. And I know you had an opportunity to listen to a, a, a car with the JVC radio. And obviously you heard there is, a, there is a big difference when you activate the technology. In fact, uh, some of the OEs want that activation button to be on it. So we, we have in consumer electronics, we have where you can turn the technology on and it and it's, makes a big difference because we're taking advantage of the available uh, space in the mechanical design of that speaker by modifying the program material to tell it, to tell that amplifier that this really doesn't sound the way you think it does. What you're really hearing is this. Of course, the amplifier's dumb, it doesn't know, neither does the speaker. The speaker's just gonna respond to what you tell it to do. But in order to do that effectively, you have to address the program material. There's no other way to do that, unless you put amplifiers and speakers in the car. So what you're able to do is take a base audio system, yes. add this chip to it, and give an automaker a premium sound system you get, yep, you get a, for just the cost of a chip, right. and they don't have to put in bigger speakers, which no. saves them real estate, as they talk right. about, yep. just you know, space inside the yes. car, and those speakers have huge magnets on them, so that's how you're saving weight. You don't have to go to big ones. No, right. Well, the, the, the entry 
like I, originally it was for the entry level market. I was trying to find an upgrade for that. But now we're earlier today we had a meeting to come up with a, an, an upgrade. So it's the Bon Jovi Acoustics system we're talking about coming with a Bon Jovi Acoustics platinum, a gold system and a platinum system, which would be start to inch its way toward the, the, the luxury car market. But we can do that. At a fraction, not a fraction of the cost, but a way lower. We, cost. Yeah, much lower cost. We're we're talking to uh, amplifier and, and speaker manufacturers right now, and and also OEs are, are 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 taking an interest in what I'm doing. No one's doing this. So it's in the aftermarket now through JVC. Through JVC, it's and we will see it from an unnamed automaker oh, when very this soon. year. This year, it will be introduced by a major manufacturer, and we're kind of excited about that because it's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to bring something to people who buy those entry-level cars and say, you know, just because you're driving a Jaguar or a Cadillac, I can, I can do that with my Toyota Corolla or my Ford Focus or something like that. Because, you know, I, I'm all about, I, I want to bring something to the masses that, that's cost-effective. So, so we have weight savings. We have a cost savings. It's easy to implement. And I'm using the Bon Jovi. It's my name. So I figured, well, there's a good segue. <laughs> and I have all this background. Uh, coming from 45 years, given away how old I am, starting at Motown <laughs> in 1966, and bringing all that experience, and my, I have enough of an engineering background, I understand what's going on, and I understand uh, the basics of, of accepted standards and practices from the engineering level, but then I can go in there and say, all right, now that that's done, now it's time to really, to really do it. And it takes, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I, how long does it take to, to profile a car? It takes about five days, about six hours a day, and what I tell my friend, and then two cases of beer, because it's, it's, extremely, <laughs> it's extremely tedious work, yeah. and you have to take a break, and when you, you, list, you have to listen to all types of music, and all th that were recorded at different time periods. You have to go all the way back to the 50s to the present day, because the technology and techniques change, and the way we m make music today, it's all synthesized, so we have to address all of those issues and when, when we do this. Well, Tony Bon Jovi, thanks so much for coming in and well, telling us you. not just your life story, but this yeah. really cool stuff that you're doing in cars as well. And thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. Real it was pleasure. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been great. Before we go, I wanted to share a little bit more of my interview with Tony Bon Jovi. I normally don't do this, but as I mentioned in the introduction, He's got such a unique and interesting background, so I thought we'd include one more Detroit-related soundbite to close the show. But it's going to take a little bit of a setup. The first thing you need to know is that he's talking about the mid-1960s. That's when Tony Bon Jovi was just a 17-year-old New Jersey high school student with dreams of becoming an engineer in the exploding music business. Those dreams became a reality when he discovered a secret recording technique invented by Detroit's own Motown Studios that was the envy of all other record labels. That's when Motown decided they better have a face-to-face -face meeting with this budding engineer before he spilled their secret. They flew me to Detroit and they put me in the Motown Studios and I discovered not only that, but they had 8-track and they had all these cool innovations. They were the most technologically advanced studio at the time. You're saying 8-track back then eight -track, was leading oh, edge. Wait, that was it. Eight different channels. You could separate the instruments. New York had 4-track. You could actually talk to the artist while they were recording. In New York, you couldn't do that. When you try to talk, it's just like if your control room wants to talk to you, they're either talking to you over your earpiece or it would come over the loudspeaker. They didn't, and so this, and they couldn't do that there. And then you can turn the little, the instruments on and off, and you could edit and do all this. Well, the editing was something that you could do. 
but nobody ever thought about this and the way they recorded it. And they didn't set out at Motown to say, we're going to build the most technologically advanced studio. That evolved out of necessity. Producers wanted to be able to do that. They wanted to eliminate things and rearrange the music and copy it. So, but, but planned or not, what you're saying is Motown Records, uh, Hitsville, USA, there on West Grand Boulevard in Detroit, was one of the most technologically technologic, advanced they, studios. That was the first studio, the first record label that, and the first production technique that actually used the studio as part of the production process. You can hear the entire interview at our website, www.autolinedetroit.tv. I'm telling you, this is a part of the Motown story that's never been told until now. And by the way, for a quick demonstration of Tony's audio system, that's at our website as well. Anyway, that wraps up this show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.